Welcome to the 95th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a quick overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, recapping week 11 of the college football season, and recapping week 10 of the NFL season. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting in the NBA, Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his predictions. In college football, Patrick also went 2-2. Two and two. And in the NFL, Patrick went 3-1. and one. Uh, And in NCAA basketball, I forgot we were doing that, uh, Patrick went 3-1. and one. So you guys can do the math. Patrick was 10-6 and six overall in this weekend's predictions, bringing him to 230 and 175 overall, a 56.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, I'm glad that I finished every single league 500 or better, considering that I picked four different leagues. It's kind of hard to keep track of. Uh, Obviously, the NCAA one's all off of preseason expectations, and ironically enough, I uh, joked about breaking the mold of picking all home teams by picking Florida State to beat Florida on the road, and that was the only game I got wrong, so I guess I should have picked all home teams and stuck with the uh, early in the season home teams always end up winning, but uh, the other matchups, the home team was also the higher-ranked team, too, which definitely helped, although in San Diego State and BYU, they were both ranked about the same. Neither of them actually ranked, but both of them in the very low numbers of others receiving votes categories, but yet still a very interesting game and uh, might might pay a, might, might be a game to look back at when you uh, look at the NCAA tournament bracket at the end of the season in the NCAA. Obviously, there were the two top five matchups that I picked this week. Uh, Gonzaga... Pretty much made quick work of Texas. I, I'm not going to give Texas too much credit for doing much in that game. Um, but UCLA and Villanova, I had said I had said as a quote in my article that I had said that was a early potential game of the year candidate. And, well, uh, it's definitely at the top of that list right now, although there have been some games recently that also might fit that mark, including an Illinois loss against Marquette today that had a crazy ending. But that's another conversation for later in the week. Um, but... Actually, a lot of great games early in the year, and it really has continued to mirror college bas- college football with a lot of upsets. Uh, but we'll keep going uh, with that other than the NCAA. There uh, went pretty well in the NFL. I mean, there was a close game, as always, with the Vikings, a one-score game that was the only game I got wrong this week. Uh, other than that, the teams I picked won pretty easily for the most part. Um, yeah, actually, really easily for two of them, but we'll go. <laughs> we'll get into that one later. Um, and in the NCAA, I had two close games that kind of swung back and forth with momentum. Um, got one of them right, got one of them wrong. And then the Baylor pick just did not work out well whatsoever. I'm not even going to sugarcoat that at all. And then Iowa played a decently close game, but ha- had it in their in their hands the whole time, and they were able to win that game. And then the NBA, 2-2, two and two, nothing really out of the ordinary there. Although I will say that Uh, There was an error that my Instagram post had a different game than the one that was on my website, Um, but I believe that the team I picked to win both games won anyway, so it doesn't actually matter (laughs) uh, which game. That means your record was one better. Well, no, because I replaced replaced a Bulls war... Okay, let me explain. I picked the Bulls to beat the Clippers, okay, on my Instagram. I beat the Warriors to beat the Bulls on my website. The Warriors beat the Bulls and the Bulls beat the Clippers. So one of them counts, one of them doesn't, but it doesn't really matter because I got the both right. Saying, technically, you picked an extra game. I technically could p- say I'm three and two, but I have to stick with the theme of okay, four games okay. per week, and I don't okay. want to make it. I don't want to set a precedent for the future. Your integrity is admirable. 
Yeah, well, I also thought that I was going to get the Bulls-Clippers game wrong, which is why I switched it in the first place. So uh, <laughs> okay. that's See, even more evidence your integrity is admirable. Well, yeah, I wanted to pick the Warriors because I realized that also I, I thought I had picked another game of theirs later in the week uh, against the Hornets, but I didn't. So uh, that I, I thought I picked them twice, and that's why I changed it. And then I realized that I actually didn't pick them twice and just stuck with the Bulls game instead. But uh, moving on from that. Uh, yeah, overall a good week, though. Ten and six with four <laughs> leagues is a lot to keep track of, but... I'll take it, and obviously I'll continue on with all of these leagues in the future. And in the future, we can see how Patrick does with his predictions for next weekend as they are posted on our website, as usual, every Thursday at 4thand24.com. Let's uh, move on to our weekly look at college football. Patrick, as usual, we start with the best games. What were the best games of Week 11? Well, I will start with two overtime games that happened this week. Uh, Pitt beat North Carolina 30-23 to in overtime. A crazy comeback by North Carolina as Pitt actually had a pretty commanding uh, halftime lead, I believe, of 23-7. to North Carolina scored 16 unanswered to tie the game and uh, put it into overtime. But then Pitt scored on their possession, and uh, North Carolina threw up a pass in the rain on 4th and 11 that was not near a single person, and Pitt picked it off in quintuple coverage, which is very unusual. Uh, but yeah, it happened, and... Uh, I mean, look, it was a good game. It was actually on a Thursday night. Set the precedent for a really good week in college football, actually. have a lot of close games. In fact, so many that I had to take some of them out of the best games and just put them in other categories, even though they're all strong contenders. Uh, the second overtime game, Arkansas beat LSU 16-13. Uh, again, I mean, well, I'll, I'll get more at this later, but LSU continues to compete with any team they play. They just cannot muster up a win, um, but... That just goes to show you how good their division in the SEC is, because if you look at that division, they're going to be the only team that misses a bowl game. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if they pull two upsets at the end of the season because they don't play Alabama. So uh, as long as they don't play the unwinnable game, I could see them upsetting whoever they play next to. I, I don't. I mean, they're going to be playing with nothing to lose. They're going to use the whole playbook. Ed Ogeron's final two games as coach. You don't know what's going to happen when you have a team that's that desperate for wins. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to sneak some out. I wouldn't be surprised if they get absolutely torched in those games because of all the things going on in the background and the fact that they, if they lose the first game, won't have anything to play for in the last game. Uh, the next two uh, are both games that, well, they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Iowa and Minnesota kind of played a very old-fashioned type of a game, 27-22 to 22. A lot of running in this game, not a lot of great passing. Uh, Iowa playing with a backup quarterback. Minnesota deciding that a quarterback who led them almost single-handedly with some receivers too, obviously, and some great running backs, um, who led them to a 10-2 season in 2019 that he doesn't know how to throw a ball anymore, so they don't run the, they don't pass the ball much. They're actually, interestingly enough, in terms of run plays called, they're only behind Air Force, Army, and Navy, who all run the triple option for most, for most percent of plays that are runs. Fifth string running back. Yeah, and they're down in their fifth string running back, and yet there they are with the triple option service schools, <laughs> military schools that are that literally only run. Anyway, uh, that's just a little side note on them. And somehow Iowa makes it look like they run a normal amount because Iowa runs a lot more, and Spencer Petrus was out, so that was obviously a part of it for them. Uh, Alex Padilla came in and played a pretty good game, though, and Iowa wins the seventh straight matchup in the matchup with in the rivalry with Minnesota for Floyd of Roysdale, the Pig Trophy, and breaks an all-time series tie of 44-44-2 to swing the series in Iowa's favor, maybe for the first time all time. Do you think they call it Floyd of Rosedale the Pig Trophy, or that's just your discussion? No, I'm just I'm just saying Floyd <laughs> of Rosedale, and no one knows what Floyd of Rosedale is, exactly. so I'm saying it's yeah. a trophy of a pig, Unlike which is what it is. Unlike brass spittoon, when people know it's an old brass spittoon. Yes, that's true. Gotcha. Uh, and then the final game, 
uh, which was not like an old brass platoon, it was like a newly oiled uh, machine, was Wake Forest and NC State, 45 to 42. Uh, this was one of the games I predicted. I, I didn't know what was going to happen in this game. I just knew both teams were going to score a lot of points, and the one who scored the most points was going to win. Uh, because that's how football works. And uh, I, I, if you ask me to pick who's going to score the most, I think Wake Forest is going to be the team that scores the most because they t- they seem to uh, only be able to not outscore their own defense giving up points. I mean, the only thing that can stop Wake Forest is their defense giving up 50, which they did against North Carolina, but they're always able to put up 45. Uh, and and th- I think the most strange thing, I guess, I would say about this game is that Sam Hartman did not complete 50% of his passes. He was 20 of 47 in the game with three interceptions, and yet Wake Forest put up 45 points and won. Do not ask me to explain how that happens. I don't know. Got to go ask NC State's quarterback how he feels after throwing 59 passes with four touchdowns and 400 yards, and yet he still lost the game. Go ask him how he feels about his defense, but Wake Forest comes out with the win. Yeah, uh, you didn't mention that LSU-Arkansas game. Uh, how, how it ended in overtime. Really disappointing. LSU fighting with Arkansas and then throw a really bad interception in overtime. Never want to do that in the first possession. Well, that's what happens when you have a uh, starting quarterback before the season slip on a deck while going out fishing and break his arm, and then the backup quarterback comes in, and after you name the backup quarterback the starter for the rest of the year, the dude who breaks his arm transfers, and all of a sudden when the other one is injured, you're down to your third string, and uh, that's not going to turn out so well for you in the SEC. Playing with third-string quarterbacks is not a good formula, unless you're Alabama and you have two as your backup. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's move off to the best games. Uh, to some other games that were good games, really good games, but they were the upsets of the week. I'm going to start with Baylor beating Oklahoma 27-14, to uh, although I will say it's more like 24-14 to with an asterisk. Um, but, uh, I mean, Baylor just played well. Uh, they stepped on Caleb Williams' hand, which definitely helped in the third quarter and forced Spencer Rattler into the game, although I'm not so sure that Caleb Williams would have won that game because he stayed in the game for a little bit after that, and on a, uh, on a pass that... I hope he was trying to throw out of bounds. If he wasn't, it was a terrible decision. He just threw up a fluttering pick, and uh, Baylor got an easy interception. I believe the game was 14-7 to uh, in Baylor's favor at that time, or maybe it was 10-7, to something like that. And then Baylor got the pick, cashed in on it, and uh, eventually had enough points to win this game. And by the way, this game was pretty close up until the end, uh, and it was 24-14 to until Dave Aranda decided that because there is a the third tiebreaker in the Big 12 is point differential between the top three teams against each other if there's a potential tiebreaker, that he needed to kick an extra field goal to move Oklahoma's point differential down so that in the future that might help them get into the Big 12 championship game. Although I will add that when I looked at the overall tiebreakers, Baylor's 1-1 one one against the two teams regardless, and if Oklahoma is also 1-1, one one, it means that Oklahoma State is going to be 1-1, one one, but yet Oklahoma's going to win the other tiebreakers because they'd be undefeated against every other team in the conference. And if they're not undefeated against the other teams in the conference, then that means that they're just below both of them in the first place. So the math checks out in a way that I don't think it's actually possible for them to have a three-way tie unless Oklahoma loses next week and then beats Oklahoma State the next week and Baylor loses another game. But instead of kicking garbage time field goals while they have half their student body on the field already, they could just go out and win next week. That would be a better idea. Yeah, you can't fault the guy, um, or maybe it was an excuse he came up with after the fact. That's also possible. It could have been just been to rub it in, and that was an excuse. And uh, I mean, I think you even had Oklahoma's athletic director on the field with Lincoln Riley trying to tell the refs that 
they should not have to bring their field goal unit out of the locker room to dress up and come back on the field with three seconds left after Baylor's students were on the field and everything. Yeah, I wonder uh, if they were ask, actually asking for, we, we didn't have the volume, I wonder if he was asking for a 15-yard penalty, maybe even to back him up further, so then uh, who knows? Well, I think also they could have been asking if it was possible for the athletic directors to come to an agreement that the game could be suspended from that point on, and I bet you Baylor's wouldn't have agreed to it Correct. because they were going to kick another field goal. Um, but finally, uh, after that one, you had Mississippi State upsetting Auburn on the road uh, this game, I can't really say much about it because Auburn was up 28-3 to and let Mississippi State score 30 unanswered points to go up 33-28 to uh, and then eventually let them win the game. And I'll talk more about how Mississippi State won that game when we talk about our most impressive players. But let's just say Auburn needs a passing defense and they didn't have one this weekend. Yeah, and can I call an audible here and throw one on the list? Uh, Kansas beating Texas in Austin in overtime. Going for it, on going for two, Kansas has never beaten Texas in Austin in the history of Kansas football. I think it was only the fourth or the fifth maximum win ever for Kansas over Texas. Well, I, I will say the only reason why I think I didn't have it on here is because Texas stinks. Texas is so bad that they don't appear in this little thing called the top 25 scores anymore. So they don't appear on my, on my radar of actual games that are important, so I didn't even think to mention it and also uh i don't know if any i don't know if anybody beating texas at this point is an upset because texas is pretty bad kansas beating texas in austin never happened in the history of the whole of either program that's, well i'll, that's I'll say when point. i said well I'll, I'll say when i saw 56 55 in overtime i thought that texas like flew back from spokane and immediately played kansas in basketball and made a really bad decision and that's what there happened and go. they couldn't score because of it but uh yeah i mean obviously that was probably that might have been the biggest upset of the season just historically, but uh, Texas isn't going to make a bowl game, so I don't think it's all too surprising that they're losing games like that, and by the way, uh, Oklahoma almost lost to Kansas before, so you can tell that Kansas has been getting oh so close to winning games, and this is finally the week that they broke through. Somewhere Tom Herman is laughing hysterically. All right, yes, let's move to the most impressive teams. Well, I'll go with Ole Miss because they won while holding an opponent under 20. They did not need to score 50, unlike Wake Forest, to win a game, which is something that you wouldn't expect them to do. Uh, they had the fourth-ranked offense in terms of total offense by yards this year, but their defense has not been that. And, and Texas A&M, like I said in my prediction, had the second-ranked scoring defense heading into this game. Uh, and really, besides turnovers in the second half, they played like that in the second half. They just couldn't get anything going offensively in the first half uh, and ended in, and ended up going into the halftime down 15 to nothing. Don't ask me how they got that odd score. Safeties, touchdowns, field goals, whatever. Um, but they had a chance. They went all the way and brought it back to 15 to 10 in the third quarter. But they weren't able to keep it close enough to the point where Ole Miss had to get one more drive, one more turnover forced to really end the game, and that's what they did. They iced the game on a, on an interception and then on a touchdown that they scored right after, uh, put them up by enough to give them enough cushion to win that game. I think Texas A&M scored a bit of a garbage time touchdown to make this look more respectable. I believe looking at this, I, I believe I looked at the score at some point. It was 29-13, but you can correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, the next one I'll go with. Notre Dame has finally started to beat up on teams that they should be beating up on. And frankly, Virginia was nearing the rankings and would have been ranked if they had beaten BYU last week. Uh, they are a six. They were a six and three team. They were playing at home. They'd lost one game at home all year, uh, and Notre Dame came in and beat them twenty-eight to three. Virginia is a good team. They're one of the better teams that the ACC has to offer. 
And, I mean, there's no way else to put it. Notre Dame just knocked them out of the game. I mean, they did not let them keep this close. They didn't let it be in striking distance. Uh, the game was 28 to nothing heading into the fourth quarter. If that's not a dominant win, I don't know what is. So I'm very impressed with Notre Dame because they were having so many issues blowing out teams. They were close with Toledo. They were close with Purdue at the beginning of the season. They lost to Cincinnati. Uh, and here's them finally getting that win that's a blowout and not just a blowout against a team like Navy, who's 2-9 and on the year, although Cincinnati can't blow them out, but a team who's actually had a good season and really can put up a lot of points because Virginia was involved in that game that was 42-38 to at the half, and here they are only scoring three points in an entire game. Uh, it's a good performance by Notre Dame. I'm really impressed by it. And finally, uh, I could have put this in best games, but I didn't want to have six games in best games. Michigan beating Penn State on the road. That is the first time Michigan has beaten Penn State on the road in the Jim Harbaugh era, which is pretty interesting. And uh, I believe that, look, that was a win that I think many people will agree. No other Michigan team in the last 10 or so years would have gotten that win. This was the only team that could have done it. Uh, just the way that the game shaped out and coming out very bad in the first quarter, a team that had not trailed at all in the first quarter of the entire season and yet was down 3 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. And by the way, Without some questionable coaching decisions by James Franklin, uh, Michigan would have been down at least six to nothing, probably ten to nothing, as we saw later in the game that Michigan could not stop four fourth down conversions, and a fourth and goal from the two yard line, and a two point conversion. Yet on fourth and goal, uh, up three to nothing, Penn State in the first quarter decided to fake a field goal. So if you look at how that went, those were six big downs that Michigan could not stop them on. Yet they decided to fake the field goal. If they had left their offense on the field, I bet they could have gotten the two yards. And if they were up 10 to nothing, this game probably would have turned out differently. But instead, they were only up 3 to nothing. Uh, and Michigan scored one touchdown in every single quarter for the rest of the game. Let Penn State back into the game late and let them tie it. But really needed more from their offense to... I mean, they needed some, it's a term in baseball, obviously, insurance runs, but they needed some insurance points to keep this game in their favor. And then instead of taking the insurance points, the offense just decided that they would let the defense uh, screw it up and then they would fumble again. And uh, Michigan's defense held strong at 14 to 14. They fumbled on the 11 yard line and then held uh, Penn State to only a field goal in really, really good field position. And that was really the key in the game that Michigan's defense did make that one stop, although if they had made the stop earlier, it wouldn't have even been a conversation. But they did make the stop after Michigan's offense blundered yet again. Uh, and then Michigan's offense backed them up by taking the game-winning drive down the field with three minutes left until Michigan's defense again forced a three and out by Penn State. And then Michigan's offense got two first downs running the ball, and that was the end of the game. Could have been another score that Michigan put up on the board if there was more time left, but uh, they weren't going to, and obviously the, the situation was only because Penn State went for it on 4th and 11 on their own 20, just because it was the end of the game and it was desperation. But uh, for most of the game, there was one, I, I feel like every quarter there was one thing that was lacking for Michigan. One, first quarter, it was their offense. Second quarter, or second quarter, it was, the second quarter was okay. Um, but half of the fourth quarter, it seemed like it was the defense's problem. And then half of the fourth quarter, it seemed like the offense's problem. Once you would realize that the offense hadn't scored anything since the first drive of the third quarter. And then finally, they all put it together. The offense comes up with a crucial drive and the defense forces the, four, uh, forces the three and out. And then the offense comes back with two first down sides to the game. Michigan finally got their big win. Yeah, uh, that first quarter you mentioned, the start for uh, Michigan was awful. They didn't have a first down in the first quarter. Uh, James Franklin kept Michigan in that game, as you mentioned, and the Wolverines won this game. Um, 
Very impressive road win. Should we go to best road wins or most impressive players, keeping with the theme? Best road wins? Let's Besides Michigan, what's your best road win? I think I have to go with Georgia against Tennessee. I mean, I had all these games in best games just because they were good games, but uh, this was the last team on Georgia's schedule that could beat them until Alabama because now they play, I think it's Charleston Southern. I think it's a team that the SEC likes to schedule from the FCS to get free wins later in the season uh, for basically a glorified bye week. Um, and then they also play Georgia Tech because that's their yearly rivalry, which, I mean, you're not going to fault them for for playing a rival at the end of the season. It's not their problem that their rival isn't very good. Um, but they're not playing another SEC game, and Tennessee was the only team that people thought could score on their defense, and to their credit, they, they scored 17. That's not terrible against Georgia's defense. Uh, they brought up Georgia Steve as an average way up because Georgia was averaging, giving up five and a half points per game, and they gave up 17, so they brought that average up. And played a pretty good game for the start of the game. But after going up 10 nothing, Tennessee really couldn't do anything. Um, but I'll move on to my most impressive players very quickly. Uh, Will Rogers engineered the comeback for Mississippi State. 44-55, 415 passing yards, and a team record six touchdowns for Mississippi State in their win. And C.J. Stroud, for a game that we didn't mention because it wasn't really a great game, it wasn't really impressive, I would argue. Um, Ohio State won over Purdue. I believe it was 59 to 31. Uh, and CJ Stroud threw for five touchdowns on 361 yards with 31 of 38 passing. So great game from him, too. All right. Any overall takeaways from across college football in week 11? Well, after what I saw from Michigan State, with really not, not, necessarily, uh, not necessarily almost losing to Maryland, but keeping them in the game a little bit, uh, and what I saw from Ohio State against a much better team that, by the way, Michigan State had lost to the week before, that being Purdue. Michigan and Ohio State will decide the Big Ten East because uh, Michigan State is going to lose to Ohio State next weekend. Uh, and that will mean that Michigan State will have their second loss in conference, and then Michigan and Ohio State will enter their game. Ohio State undefeated. Michigan won loss. Michigan wins that game. And, well, not sorry, undefeated in conference. Michigan enters that game. If they win at home, they will tie Ohio State for the conference lead, and that would be a two-way tie, and then their head-to-head record, their head-to-head win over them would win the conference. And otherwise... Ohio State beating Michigan would mean that Michigan would tie with Michigan State for second, most likely, unless Michigan State loses a different game, still uh, Penn State. which is still possible because they do play Penn State, and then Michigan State would end up second if there was that tie there. But um, that will decide the Big Ten East and probably decide who gets into the playoff out of those three teams, although I think Michigan State, any team who loses next week is probably eliminated from contention because I don't think a two te- a two-loss Big Ten team that doesn't win the conference is going to be in contention whatsoever. Uh, the SEC West is the best division in all of football, is my is my uh, other takeaway. Uh, Alabama, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Auburn, Texas A&M, Arkansas. LSU looks terrible, but they really aren't. And I think that was the whole division, right? I named all those teams, and all those teams you could probably say would beat most of the other teams. I would say there are four teams in this division that could win almost every other division in football, if not all of them, other than maybe the Big Ten East. I, I would honestly go ahead and argue that. And maybe the SEC East, and maybe the SEC East because of Georgia. Um, but you take out Georgia, you take out Ohio State. I would probably pick Alabama, Miss, Ole Miss, Auburn, or A and M to win the Pac-12. Honestly, I would pick them to win any division of the Pac-12. Hmm. I'd pick them to win the American. I would pick them to win the other division of the Big Ten. So I would pick them to win a lot of divisions. That's four teams alone. Arkansas is a great team too, and so is well. I mean, Mississippi State has had their fair share of struggles, but. There's still a 6-4 and four team that's good enough to go on the road and beat a team like Auburn, so they deserve credit for that. And finally, for our weekly segment that we always do, 
I think the playoff is going to do this with the top seven. I think Oregon is, I mean, sorry, not Oregon. Oklahoma is out of there after their loss. But I think they'll keep Georgia and Bama number one and number two. I think because of a ranked win this week with a larger margin than Oregon won against a unranked team at home, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is the week that the playoff committee moves Ohio State ahead of Oregon to set that up for later in the year uh, so that they don't have to seed them higher later. Uh, that I, I really think that is what they're going to do. And that will leave Ohio State at third, Oregon at fourth. I believe that after Cincinnati wins by 17, which is still not that big of a statement, and Michigan wins on the road at Penn State, even though the playoff committee did not rank Penn State, I still believe that Michigan now has a stronger resume than Cincinnati by adding yet another quality win. Now they have two quality wins over Wisconsin and Penn State, both on the road, uh, that I think are really, really good wins. And then I think you add that to the list, and they don't really like Cincinnati very much, and then I think they leave Michigan State down there. If, if any of those... I would say Michigan moving over Cincinnati is probably the least likely to happen. I'd say Ohio State is probably more likely to move over Oregon. I actually really do think they're going to do that. Uh, The way they've been evaluating teams, I think personally, I would say they have to move Michigan over Cincinnati by the principle they've set. But I wouldn't be surprised if they don't do it. What do you think? I think that they're going to keep it the same. Um, I think they can justify Ohio State jumping um, Oregon if they beat Michigan State this weekend. And I think that they caught so much flack for Michigan State, Michigan being one slot ahead of Michigan State, that are they really going to slide them up another one and put Cincinnati between them? Well, I think the principle to me is if they already think they're better than a team they lost to head-to-head, they're definitely believing in their resume. So. Yeah, I can see that. I think Michigan moving up, uh, and maybe even Michigan State moving up ahead of Cincinnati, is more likely this week than Oregon going over ahead of Ohio State. But we'll see tomorrow. That wraps up our look at College Football Week 11. Let's turn our attention to the NFL Week 10. All right, so Patrick, what did you have as the best games of Week 10 in the NFL? Well, I will start with the uh, seemingly weekly overtime game that we get. The first tie of the year. Also the first time the Lions didn't lose in a week other than their bye week. Uh, they are now 0-8-1 on the season. And the Steelers are 5-3-1 as the Steelers decided that every single time they get past the 50-yard line, they will immediately fumble on the right sideline of the field uh, instead of getting in a field goal range. And the Lions decided that of all kickers, they will turn to Ryan Santoso, who has a career-long field goal of 49 yards in college at Minnesota. Uh, And let's just say another bad decision by the Lions comes back to haunt them because they had a field goal that could have won them the game for 45 yards. Uh... You know, you can't really do anything about your kicker getting injured or having COVID or whatever it was that popped up late in the week. But you could do a better job of signing somebody else. I'm sure there are other kickers in the league. I think I'm not exactly a kicking expert, but uh, I can seem to think of a few guys who were released earlier earlier this year that at least have bigger legs than this guy. And when you're the Lions, why are you going for accuracy when all you need is to barely upset teams when you're desperate? You're going to try to need to <laughs> you're going to need to try for some 60 yard field goals. You kind of need the range. Um, but look. Best game, maybe not, because, uh, I mean, closest game. Maybe we should name this close games of Week 10, because some of these games that are always in best games are pretty ugly. Um, but nonetheless, pretty entertaining to watch. I think a, a good laugh if you're not a Steelers or Lions fan at uh, how, A, one one playoff hopes team could be so bad that they could almost lose to easily the worst team in the league, probably the worst team of the decade. Uh, well, at least the decade's just started, but probably will stay the worst team of the decade, if not the last 10 years uh, in terms of just the straight-up calendar. Um, but 
I would argue this team is probably worse than the Browns, so I, I would go there. Um, but, uh, I mean, the Lions found an identity, though. They, they scored by rushing the ball 33 times um, and getting two rushing touchdowns. Jared Goff threw the ball 8 to 10 times, and maybe people are starting to realize that Sean McVay was a lot of his success rather than his own uh, arm talent. And, uh, look, the Lions just didn't have much. And, by the way, the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger... Mason Rudolph is not going to win this team in a game, so let's just leave it at that. Uh, and the next game I'm going to go into, speaking of backup quarterbacks who probably shouldn't be playing in the NFL, uh, Trevor Simeon was not able to lead a comeback against the Titans as the Titans find another way to win a game and stay atop the AFC. And by the way, I think that will continue because they have the easiest remaining schedule in all of the NFL, and it isn't close. And the reason why is because the teams in their division are are awful. That includes the Jaguars, and that includes the Texans, and they've already played one of their games against the Colts. So other than that game against the Colts, they're not playing many good teams for the rest of the year because they also have their last five wins against 2020 playoff teams. Uh, So they've already played the good teams on their schedule, and they have the bad teams left. They're going to win a lot of games in the rest of the season. I think it's safe to say this is a playoff team. This is probably the only team I could guarantee for the playoffs at this this moment, maybe outside of Arizona. But, uh, a uh, close game nonetheless. The Titans played pretty well in defense. It came down to a two-point conversion, although the Saints had a false start on that two-point conversion and drove them back to the seven-yard line. And asking a backup quarterback to get a two-point conversion from the seven-yard line isn't very reliable. If you're from the two, at least you could maybe run the ball and uh, or at least give the illusion that you might be, but weren't able to do that because of that circumstance. All right, your most disappointing teams. I will start with the Seahawks. Russell Wilson was shut out for the first time in his entire career. Granted, there's some ugly weather, and he was coming back from an injury. But the Packers' defense is not good enough to shut out anybody, frankly, in my opinion. Uh, They might have gotten better uh, over the course of the season, but they also got players injured in the middle of this game. And Aaron Rodgers was also coming back in his first game, and he looked out of rhythm too. The Seahawks had the ball a lot. They just could not convert. I believe there were three picks thrown in the end zone in this game combined. Just an ugly game, but the Seahawks really came out as the disappointing one. I'm not impressed with the Packers' defense. I don't really think it was... I think it was more bad Russell Wilson and bad out-of-sync Seahawks offense than it was a good Packers' defense. The next one we'll go to, the Buccaneers were uh, were down by four with 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, and you figured that Tom Brady would probably get two cracks with the ball with the Washington team who can't score uh, and would be able to you know, engineer a game-winning drive like he always does. Their defense gave up the longest drive in the NFL this year by time. They gave up a 10-and-a-half-minute touchdown drive, down 23-19, to ended up being 29-19 to as uh, the Washington uh, football team decided to go for two. I don't really know why, I guess, to put it completely out of reach, make it so that it would need a touchdown and a two-point conversion. But that did not, uh, it didn't work, but they still won by 10, and uh, Tom Brady never really got the chance to get the ball because they only got the ball back with 30 seconds left. That's on Tampa Bay's defense mostly, but it's also on Tom Brady for throwing multiple picks uh, for the second loss in a row, like they, just like he did against the Saints, and uh, that's the Buccaneers not coming out of a bye week, by the way, well, which is surprising because last year they caught fire after their bye week. This year, they lose to one of the worst offensive teams in the league by giving up a bunch of points. Uh... Second to last, I have the Ravens only scoring 10 against the Dolphins on Thursday Night Football. They should have won this game. We all know that. Uh, They just didn't play well enough, and they just have to clean it up in the future, and that was a key game. I mean, they got a gift that the Steelers tied a game against the Lions. They had a free win on their schedule. The Ravens had a free win on their schedule. They both messed it up, but the Ravens really could have pulled ahead in this division, uh, as also the Browns got obliterated, and uh, they could have pulled ahead in this division a lot more, but they didn't. And finally, the Rams... uh, 
Matt Stafford needs to clean up his play and Tyler Higby needs to stop dropping passes and this defense needs to find a way to use the stars they have to not get ran all over by the 49ers and also find a way to beat the 49ers because uh, that's the one team in the NFC West that Sean McVay has a losing record against and it's not even close to a winning record. Uh, he has a great record against the Cardinals. I believe he's 8-1 and one against them and he's 7-3 and three against the Seahawks or something like that, but cannot find a way to beat the 49ers and the Rams need to do that especially in the down years of the 49ers because these are games that they need for better seeding in the playoffs had an opportunity to tie the Cardinals in the division and couldn't do it just because of this loss that's not a good look all right let's talk about something positive who were the impressive teams for you this past week well this week to qualify for most impressive teams you had to score 40 points or more there were four teams who met that criteria uh first the Bills were up 45-3 to on the Jets. I don't need to say anything about the Jets. We all know the Jets are horrible. They're the worst defense in the league, one of the worst of all time. And uh, the Bills continued to prove that. They scored 45 points pretty easily. Josh Allen only had to complete 19 passes to score 45 points. And they still didn't do much on the ground. That's all you need to know. Uh, Mike White threw five picks. That's another thing that happened in that game. But I'm very impressed with how the Bills' defense continues to play. And their offense is finally getting back to what it should be. The Patriots destroyed the Browns. Not only did they injure Baker Mayfield, but 45 points with pretty much all running uh, was just insane. And look, Mac Jones is pretty obviously going to be the rookie of the year, I think, at this point. Uh, I I really don't think there's anything left to say about it. None of the other quarterbacks have done enough, and his team is going to be a pretty easy easy playoff team. And they're going to be a good one, too, and a hard out, too, especially if they can get some home field advantage with some weak records in the AFC. If they play a few home games, I don't know who's going to beat the Patriots. Uh, Finally, the Cowboys bounced back from their embarrassing loss against the Broncos, scored 43 on the Falcons. Dan Quinn had his defense of the Cowboys playing very well against his former team, the Falcons. Uh, And then, I I shouldn't have said finally, the Raiders, I mean, sorry, the Raiders lost to the Chiefs, who scored 41, finally looked like their offense was back how it should be. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was insane in this game. Five touchdowns, 35 of 50 with 450 yards. One of my most impressive players. I guess that's kind of a natural segue, so I'll cut you off there. Uh, Along with Patrick Mahomes, I have Mac Jones, who I said is going to be the rookie of the year. 19 of 23, 198 yards, three touchdowns. If he's going to complete that many passes to supplement that running game. It's going to be really, really hard for anybody to beat the Patriots because that's a dynamic offense. Not not a high-powered offense, but a great offense with a really, really top-of-the-line defense. And finally, Stefan Diggs got back in his rhythm. Three guys who really got in rhythm this week. Eight receptions, 162 yards, and one touchdown to completely torch the Jets. All right, any overall takeaways from across the NFL in Week 10? I think the AFC picture might be a little bit more clear, I guess. Uh, I think the Bills, Titans, and Patriots, along with whoever wins the AFC West, are the big contenders. And then the AFC North deserves some mention, and I think the Ravens I would put kind of with the Bills, Titans, and the Patriots as the top dogs. And the Chiefs, obviously, just because of our past expectations of them, they obviously have the talent to be that good. And their defense looks like they're finally playing to the point where they might be a contender that when you start to poke holes in the other team, in the other teams, I mean, these teams all have weaknesses except for the Patriots, I would argue. Uh, the Bills don't have a running game. The Titans don't have a running game now that Derrick Henry's out and really are a, they're not necessarily a one-dimensional team, but they're going to have to reshape their identity in the final seven games of the season. Uh, the Patriots are just kind of solid everywhere. So I guess their one weakness is that they don't have a strength. And maybe it, maybe it's the running game or the offensive line, I guess you could say, or, or the defense too. Um, the Chiefs can put up a lot of points, but their defense is still very shaky. And then I would say the same thing about the Chargers. I would say the same thing about the Raiders. 
Um, so overall, you got a lot of question marks. The Ravens kind of fit in that category where a lot of times their offense somehow can't score, and that's probably because Lamar Jackson accounts for a lot of their uh, yards. And besides Lamar Jackson doing his thing and just being a superhero, this team cannot find much offensive rhythm. And when their defense isn't playing its best, it can't carry this team to a win. Um, And then the Steelers don't really still have that much of an offense. And uh, frankly, their running defense looked pretty weak against the Lions, I will say. So overall, there was a lot of holes to poke in all of these teams. So uh, some solid teams like the Patriots, I mean, I could see them just going on a run like the Titans did a few years ago just because of the fact that they don't have a giant weakness. Um, And then finally, the NFC King, I I think the Cowboys, I think the Cardinals, I think the Packers, and I think still the Bucs and the Rams even after losses. Look, the Cardinals lost a game with their backup quarterback to the the Panthers. Who cares? They're still 8-2. They still have the best record in the NFC. The Cowboys, however, they came out and finally showed their offense playing very well again. But also their defense is still finding ways to just create turnovers. And I feel like if you're giving their offense edges by giving them extra possessions, that's going to be a tough team to beat just because of the fact that it's hard to beat that team already when you're just trying to go blow for blow with a really high-powered offense, maybe the best in the NFL. When you give them extra possessions by turning the ball over, you almost have no chance. And that's the thing that their defense is doing. They are creating extra possessions. They're getting a sack here and there on third down that's giving their team extra punts uh, or giving the team... Uh, more less snaps on defense and giving them more snaps on offense, which is really important. Uh, the Rams and the Cardinals, I mean, the, the losses they have had have shown kind of their weaknesses. Uh, you could say the same thing about the Packers. You could also say the same thing about the Bucks. Um, so it's really hard to figure out who the king of the NFC is. I think it's the same thing as the AFC, although the NFC has kind of been at least only five really great teams the whole season, whereas the AFC is kind of just a little bit cloudy. And then finally, the wild card. Uh, you have the Rams at seven and three, who are in the fifth spot currently. New Orleans is at five and four, and uh, the sixth seed, Carolina, is actually making the cut at this point at five and five. In the hunt, you have Minnesota at four and five. You have Atlanta at four and five. You have Philly at five. At, or sorry, you have San Francisco at four and five, and you have the Eagles at four and six. And when you look at it, I know that none of those teams are going to do anything once they get to the playoffs. But one of those four te- five teams has to make the playoffs after looking pretty terrible to start the year. I don't think Carolina deserves to be a playoff team. I also don't think Minnesota does. Minnesota I also don't think... Minnesota played close a number of times. At, at, really well, Minnesota record. plays all close games, but you know what playoff teams do. They win they close games, games, and that's not what the Vikings do. Uh, Atlanta just lost by 40 and somehow are still right in this conversation, literally behind by a half a game. Philadelphia is actually looking better, I would argue. The Devontae Smith-Jalen Hurts connection is actually starting to form a little bit. And the Niners with their... Uh, seemingly routine wins over the Rams will somehow find a way to butt their head into this conversation by the end of the year. Maybe they're probably the most deserving, uh, but their defense isn't what it was when they won a Super Bowl, and Jimmy Garoppolo is still Jimmy Garoppolo, so it's it's really the same team that went to the Super Bowl, except for without the defense that carried them there. So I would argue that maybe Carolina and Minnesota are the most deserving outside of the 49ers. I would pick the 49ers to take that spot, though. I, I'm going to be quite honest, because I think they could muster up a win later in the year when maybe the Cardinals or the Rams are resting their players as they're already in the playoffs, or the Seahawks are trying not to get injured. I think they could win one of those games and make it in, whereas Minnesota, Atlanta, Carolina are probably going to be fighting with teams like the Saints, who are going to be fighting for divisional control, and same as the Buccaneers. Do I dare say we don't need an extra playoff team, we don't need an extra week in the NFL season? 
Well, if you look at the AFC, I think that, I mean, the Browns are in 11th place in the AFC, so that would okay. argue that you need a lot of playoff teams. Maybe but you uh, trade one from one division to the other. Maybe it's a, a twist on the wild card. You move you, you move teams from one division to the other, one conference to the other. Well, look at, the, look at the NBA. They have this problem, too. Look yeah. at the teams that make the East playoffs and the West playoffs every year. It always turns out like this, but uh, this is what happens when you have a lot of teams in the playoffs, and sometimes it's not going to work out that way, but... Uh, I think long-term this is probably a good solution, especially if you're going to add a 17th game to the season. All right, well, we'll stop talking about that, and we'll stop uh, this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, November 19th, where we will have our weekly analysis of NBA action. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, the 11th installment of our College Football Top 25 poll, which will be published on Tuesday, and his first in-season First full in-season NCAA tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday. Uh, that's all on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.